theyeshiva.net. Hobson's Weekly Mitzayu Shabbos Radio Show. So we have been offline for a few weeks because of Pesach, and I want to welcome all of you back. We're thrilled to have you welcome. Tonight's topic is the birds and the bees, discussing the sensitive issues with your children. So first of all, you could call in live with your questions and remarks and objections, 845-354-2444, 845-354-2444, or you can email us at rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. That's rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. Feel free to share all of your questions on this topic or any other topic if you wish. And with God's help, we will try to respond to you. So again, that's 845-354-2444. RabbiYYRadio at gmail.com. You're joining Rabbi YY Jacobson at the Nachum Siegel Network every Mitzvah Shabbos, 10 o'clock p.m. So let me begin with an email received, right? We'll get right into the questions of the audience. So here is question number one. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I came home late last night. Well, this probably wasn't last night. Okay. I guess it was written earlier. I came home late last night. To find my 12-year-old son sitting in front of the computer, watching something inappropriate. My initial reaction was one of pain and fear. My gut tells me that punishing him won't help. It may just encourage him to hide his behavior even better. We did not have the talk, quote-unquote, with him yet. How do you think... I should go about the talk. How can I be most effective? What should be my best response when seeing my son engaged in this behavior? I assume he didn't mean last night, uh, Friday night, but I guess one night uh, at some point he came home late and he saw his son by the computer and so forth. Thank you very much. Listen, this is a very important question, and I guess it gets to the crux uh, of the issue. You you basically saw your son uh, visiting a website, um, searching for information or looking at information relating to intimate, sensitive issues. You want to know how to approach it. First of all, I completely agree with you that the gut reaction of punishing him is is equally inappropriate and and misplaced. First of all, his intention was not evil. His intention was probably curiosity, or more likely to satisfy a void, a need, a desire. Perhaps he's trying to make sense of the world. Perhaps he's trying to understand changes in his body, which he has been recently experiencing. So the word punishment really, I don't think, is applicable here. My advice to you would be this. Sit down with your son and talk to him. Tell him that he's getting older and more mature. His body is growing. 
Tell him that as a father you want to share with him some wisdom, some perspective on these crucial developments of his life. Give him a lesson about how God created the human body. Age appropriate. Explain to him, since he obviously knows about this from other sources, because you saw him on the computer watching these things, you need to explain to him some basic ideas about intimacy from a Jewish and pure perspective. Explain to him that it's the holiest act and experience of human life through which souls are created. It represents the power God gave us to create life to continue civilization. Therefore, God intended us to use this power in the most productive and meaningful way in the context of marriage with a mother and a father raising a family. Like everything holy and sacred, there is always a big Sahara which wants us and strives to make us use these powers in counterproductive ways. This includes all types of behaviors that deal with intimacy in the wrong time, in the wrong place, with the wrong person, in the wrong fashion. Explain to him that sexuality is a natural part of who we are. It's not evil, abnormal, or scary. It's a divine gift. The Ramban, Nachmanides calls it the Holy of Holies in a famous letter. When we follow the laws of Torah, we ensure that our intimate powers are channeled and expressed in the way they should be to generate light, goodness, and blessings for us in the world. Sometimes we face a test in this area, just as we would be with eating non-kosher food when we're hungry, stranded in an airport. Tell him that you can always talk about it with your father. We all have this in us. It's not something to be ashamed about. The channels of communication can always be open. And explain to him that computers are not the right tool to explore this part of his body. It's too sensitive. It's too deep. It's too holy. It's too sacred. We don't get direction for the most sacred part of our lives from websites that we know nothing about. And tell him that as you grow, you will feel this part of you more and more, and I'm always here for you in this. Don't engage in the shame on you phrase, or how could you do this declaration. To the contrary, look at what is special about your child, connect to that part, bring it out to him in words, and then say, that is why you want him to be able to live a meaningful and productive life, because of how how powerful, how special he is. This is, I think, some basic, some basic advice, some basic uh, guidelines that can be helpful in this area. The questions are coming in here. Let's take more questions. You can email us at rabbiyyyradio at gmail.com or call 845-354-2444. So you can call us at 845-354-2444. You can email us at rabbiyyyradio at gmail.com. The questions are coming in here by email. Let me share another question. I am afraid of talking about the birds and the bees with my children. I don't want to talk about it. I don't think I should talk about it to my kids. Listen, my friend. 
We cannot stick our heads in the sand and hope that our children will develop healthy attitudes and behaviors concerning intimacy on their own. This is true especially today. We live in a society that screams its messages about intimacy from so many different sources. And even if you live in a neighborhood which is observant and religious and somewhat isolated, at some point your children will learn about this from a friend, from a website, from some source. And I think it's extremely important that when everybody, when the whole world is pushing on our children messages about this, shouldn't we talk to them too? We can't allow fear to overcome us and fail our own children to build them in this most critical area. So, you know, the best thing is if you could be the first one to speak to your children about these sensitive issues, it's much better to start with a clean slate rather than having to undo the faulty and sometimes filthy and counterproductive information they've picked up from friends or from social media or from other outlets. Unfortunately, in so many families, this doesn't happen. Now, none of us are fully comfortable with having these discussions with our children. It's not always an easy thing to do. But ultimately, it's our responsibility. It's what our children need from us. So we need to be brave and sensitive enough to do it. And the good news is that as you courageously talk through the tough and sensitive issues with your children, not only will you be equipping, not only will you be giving them information they need to make wise choices in their life, but perhaps you might be pleasantly surprised how your relationship with them will deepen in the process. They will open up and share more of what's going on inside them when they see they can trust you and talk to you about the most sensitive areas of their life. And this is true both with young men, with boys, and young women, with girls. So I think it's important to speak to our children. Now, age-appropriate, of course. There's the conversation with a 7-year-old. There's a conversation with a 13-year-old. There's a conversation with a 16-year-old. We have here another question. I am an educator, a teacher. Is this something, is it appropriate to address these issues in the classroom? Okay, that's a very, very important question and a wonderful question. So let me tell you. I think to have a conversation in the classroom, you have to be very sensitive about because every child comes from a different home. Every child has a different body. Every child is exposed to the world in a different way. And just to put everybody in the same box and give a general conversation about such an intimate and sensitive issue may not always be wise. On the other hand, I think it's very important, especially if you notice that certain youngsters are sensitive to this issue, to address them, to speak to them, maybe one-on-one, maybe two people, maybe three people. I think individually is often much better. You know, I once saw a very interesting letter that was written by the Lubavitcher Rebbe to the Helmetzerov, Reb Hananye Yomtev Lipa Daich. He was the author of the books Taras Yomtev. It's a letter from uh, Ches Ear, actually, we're coming into the year, the 8th of year, 1954. 
And he published a lot of books dealing with the birds and the bees, intimacy and, and the laws about intimacy and, and how to protect you know, the integrity of your body, what's called Shmira Sabris, etc. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe thanks him for, for, for his book, uh, the sixth book of Taras Yomtev. And he says that even though we have not been accustomed in our community to publish special books about the issue of uh, emission of procreative substances, of the seed of life, and not even speak about it publicly. And the reason is because, you know, being overwhelmed and afraid from this sin can itself have counterproductive ramifications. He says in 1954, (laughs) in our country, where the transgression of emitting procreative substances, what's called the Zerilavatala, has become something completely permissible. And there are even physicians who tell their clients to behave in this way, to be completely, completely, not have any limitations on the emission of their procreative substances. And they even mock at people who prevent themselves from it and explain to them that not only is it permissible, it's important, it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment. And nobody is discussing it. Nobody is protesting. Nobody is even explaining how it affects the person physically, psychologically, and spiritually. How it affects the body in a negative way. It diminishes one's faculties. It diminishes so many aspects of a person's physical life in addition to the way it degrades the soul. So there is room to say that in today's day in this country... One should publish and publicize about the negative consequences and the blemish of this issue and to speak about it. If we could save the souls of Bachure Yisrael, of young Jewish boys, from terrible degradation. And the main thing is to strengthen the focus of teachers, Rosh Hashivas, educators and mentors to this situation because in many ways they have the power to fix the situation, and they have the responsibility to do it. And then the letter continues with some more details and some more aspects. So shall these issues be addressed in the proper context and with the proper approach? Of course. How to do it? You have to be extremely sensitive. We're on the phone here. We have Ohad calling from Brooklyn. Go ahead, Ohad. Do we have you? Ohad, are you on the phone? Okay, we'll continue with Ohad when he comes back. Let's go back to the emails. You can email us at rabbiyyradio at gmail.com or call in at 845-354-2444. That's 845-354-2444. You're joining Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, his weekly Mitzayi Shabbos radio show on the Nachum Siegel Network from 10 to 11 p.m., and tonight we're discussing the birds and the bees. Do we have Ohad online? Okay, so we'll go back to Ohad. Yes. Hello, yes. Hello. Good vach, the Rav. Good vach. Um, I would like to ask the Rav a question. What, what are you supposed to tell your kids after they do see something that's inappropriate or do something that's inappropriate for a first time or maybe not a first time? The guilt feeling is a very hard a feeling to deal with that uh, unfortunately kids do not understand 
and what is the proper way to be able to calm them down, to be able to not make them feel so guilty about transgressing such a serious avera? Yes, it's it's a very, very important question. You know, we have a very difficult challenge with this because on one hand, when you want to tell somebody, you know, don't be guilty, don't feel bad, it sometimes gives the wrong message and that is, you know, just continue this behavior. On the other hand, when we overemphasize guilt, it sometimes makes people feel so dirty and so hopeless that they give up on themselves, especially in today's generation when so many people give up on themselves. They don't believe in their capability of living good, virtuous, holy, beautiful, meaningful, and happy and wholesome lives. So I think one has to be very, very sensitive and explain explain to our children, explain to our students that inherent in the human condition is that we make mistakes. It's part of the plan. And that's why we have a beautiful, beautiful mitzvah. It's called tshuva. And what tshuva really means is not that you're an evil person, Everyone is a Balchuva. All of us make mistakes and we learn from them. And as long as we learn from them, then the mistake essentially is not a mistake anymore. Like the Gemara says in Yuma, Daf Pevav, Yuma page 86, that the sins themselves are transformed into mitzvahs because if the sin leads you to a new, if the, if, sorry, if the sin leads you to a new awareness, so then your mistake becomes a springboard for growth. So instead of feeling guilty and ashamed of how horrible you are, which only, which only leads you to do it again, because if I'm so horrible and I'm such a sick person and I'm such a lowly person, if I'm such a lowly person, so then well, well, why not at least let me enjoy myself? I'm hopeless. The more we make people feel ashamed with themselves, the more they give up on themselves. And if I give up on myself, so what's the difference if I do this or I don't do this? Number one. Number two, when people feel very bad about themselves, they have a void and they need to fill that void. So if they could continue following their instincts to fill their void, they're going to fill, fill it. They're going to fill it again. So the proper approach is to say, yes, it was a mistake. But what this teaches you is how to live in the future. And the fact that Hashem has given you this challenge only means that He has given you the power to overcome it. Because every challenge that a person has was given to them not to bring them down, but to overcome it. And the fact that a person fell only means that this is now an opportunity and a springboard and a catalyst for a new discovery. We have to empower them. Always empower them. Make them feel that they have the competence to be able to grow and to be able to learn from it. There's a beautiful verse from the Chayza of the Lublin, the Sir of Lublin. He said, we say in Mayriv, V'hasir satan melfaneinu me'achareinu. Remove the satan from before us and from behind us. So he says, the satan before us, I understand what that is. That's the satan standing in front of us and leading us towards a path that's undesirable. But what's the satan behind you? Why is he behind you? He says, that's the satan that after you make a mistake, after you sin, right after that he comes and he says, ah, look what a horrible thing you did. Look what a horrible person you are. Now the funny thing is you think it's coming from holiness. I'm a sensitive person and therefore I'm lamenting my terrible state. No, that's the Sutton. He wants you 
to get into a depression. He wants you to get into the abyss. He wants you to feel hopeless. So he stands behind every sin and he says, "Ah, look how much tshuva you have to do. And we tell the person, look how much tshuva you have to do. What's the message to him in many ways? The message in many instances is you're, you're, you're in such a bad state. And in many ways it says in Svarim that the depression and the sense of worthlessness that comes after an Aveira could be worse than the Aveira. Because for the Aveira, there's a tikkun, tshuva. But for this, there's no tikkun. When you start feeling that you're so horrible because you did it, you think, that's a good thing. Why are you going to do tshuva on that? For that, you need more tshuva than the Aveira. You know why? Because that's going to guarantee that you repeat the mistake again and again and again. So we have to empower our beautiful students and our beautiful children, Ohat. Let's move on with the next question here. You could uh, email your questions to rabbiyyradio at gmail.com or call in live 845-354-2444. And we're discussing the birds and the bees, talking about sensitive issues with your children. So here is the next question. How do I speak about these things to my children? What are the words I use? How do I present it in a sensitive way? Excellent question. Everything has to be age appropriate. The first rule is don't lie. Don't cover up. Especially today. Children are allergic to lies, especially today. Children and students despise deception, falsehood, exaggerations, hypocrisy. Be honest with your children. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have nothing to hide. The approach of Torah, the approach of Judaism, the approach of Yiddishkeit to the development of our body, to issues of intimacy and relationships and dealing with those feelings and instincts are not shameful, are not horrible. They are the blueprint for ultimate human success and ultimate human happiness. I see another email came in here, and I'm going to address it also. Somebody says that I feel that so much of Jewish law represses me and prevents me from being a free person and an expressive person and a happy person. So this is an excellent question. I want to thank you especially for this question. And I want to talk about this. You know, the way I understand it at least, Judaism did not come to crush and repress people's instincts and people's natural developments. Do you think that Torah and Halacha, their objective is cruelty? The objective is instead of you expressing yourself freely and uninhibitedly, you're looking at other teenagers in society who have absolutely no borders and no limitations. And sometimes at the age of 15, they have already experimented in so many ways and you, Nebuch, are repressed, you're crushed, and so on and so forth. I think our perspective has to change. Torah wants you to maximize your life in the most powerful way, not only spiritually, but also emotionally and also psychologically and believe it or not, even physically. Not only in the next world. I'm talking about in this world. The objective of Torah and mitzvahs is to give a person the opportunity to suck the marrow out of life and to celebrate life. But this is what we have to explain to our children. 
the procreative power, the power of sexuality, the power of intimacy, is the most potent force in human life. You know why? It's the only area where you become like God. It's the ability that Hashem gave us to create life. This is the one area where we are empowered to become godlike, to create life just like God creates life. Something from nothing. I mean, the miracle of creating life from a seed, from an egg, a child is created. And it's a creation that has the power to last for eternity. Everything we create, you create a building, you build a beautiful home, you build a beautiful building, it's not eternal. Whatever we create is mortal because humans are mortal and what we create is mortal. There's one exception, as we say in the Sheva Baruch, is binyan adeyad. There's one edifice which can last for eternity. You and I are here today because thousands of years ago, our great, great, great grandparents, beginning with Adam and Chava, chose to use their creative, intimate power to have children. So this is the most, the holiest, most sacred, most precious component of human life. It's the area where we look at God face to face. I said the Ramban calls intimacy Kodesh HaKadoshim. Do you know in Tanakh and Melochim? Do you know what the name for the Holy of Holies in the Beis HaMikdash was? Chadar HaMitois, the bedroom. In other religions, the temples are the Holy of Holies. In Judaism, the bedroom is the Holy of Holies. That's where the future, that's where the tomorrow is created. That's where you look at God face to face. You become God-like. The human being becomes infinite during moments of sexuality, of intimacy. There is a deeper point, there's another point yet, and that is Adam and Chava were created, B'Tselem Elohim, in God's image, as one. They were connected. The Gemara says in Erev, and they were like Siamese twins. And then they were disconnected. And when the husband and the wife come back together, they recreate themselves again, B'Tselem Elohim, in God's image. And as a result of that, it's the holiest moment. And when you stand face to face with God, Every detail counts. And when you're dealing with that aspect of your personality, you can't just, don't squander it. You don't squander it on nothing. You want to channel it in the most meaningful and productive way. All the halachas about modesty, about relationships, about marriage, before marriage and after marriage, are there not to repress the human creativity, but to channel it, to harness it, that it should be meaningful, long-lasting, Eternal, wholesome, physically and spiritually satisfying. And that's a very important foundation. So here comes another question that comes in. A lot of questions come in. This is a question from Ben Sian. It's a question from Anonymous. Okay. I just said the first name. Don't worry. There's a lot of Ben Sians in the world. If it is natural, as says Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, that every so often, semen, seed, must come out of the male body, why is there a bad, wrong association with it when it happens by mistake? Should someone do tshuva for a wet dream? Should one tell his children that they will, at some point, inevitably experience such a thing? Thank you so much for answering. Okay, thank you for your question by Bensian Anonymous. And uh, the answer is as follows. Here too, it's very important. 
It's true that there were Jews whose spiritual essence was so powerful that they never experienced, even in the middle of the night, by mistake, the type of emission that you discuss in your email. But that's not true for the ordinary Jew. And when that and we have so many halachas about it. It's called a balkeri, including in these parshias that we're going to read this week, Tazriya and Mitzayra. This is part of the human process. It's true, again, that there were people that were completely beyond that. But when this happens to a person, it's extremely natural. It's part of the human condition. It's part of the human cycle. If you can, it's a very good idea to go to the mikveh. It's called Tvilas Ezra. And by Hasidim, they're, uh, they're sensitive about this. But don't beat yourself up over it. This is part of who you are. And yes, I think it's important to explain this to children in the right age. Again, you have to know your children. And you have to have an ongoing... It's very important, guys. Have an ongoing conversation with your children about life. You want to know your children. You want to know where they're at. Speak to your children. More importantly, listen to your children. Now, some some kids at 12 are already going on 35. And some kids at 14 are still very young. You have to know your sons and you have to know your daughters, moms and dads, and speak to them age appropriate. But of course you should explain this, explain this to your children. And and this is also again with the with the with the with the previous question. Yiddishkeit believes in the depth and the greatness of the body and the soul. And all of the halachas are there to preserve your power, to preserve your wholesomeness to preserve your integrity and to channel your most powerful, sacred, divine gift in the proper context. Your body is not cheap. Your seed is not cheap. Your soul is not cheap. Your actions are not cheap. Sometimes we view them that way and we fall. Okay, I stumble, you stumble, we get back up, we learn from our mistakes and we move on. We need to empower our children and teach it to them from a healthy point of view, from a pure point of view. Again, kids today are very, very honest, very, very curious. And I want to tell you something. They probably know much more than you Im- <laughs> much more than you imagine. That's my guess. Not all of them, but many of them know much more than you imagine. You could speak to them. You have to speak to them in the sensitive way, but speak to them. Let's get back. We are taking now questions, um, a lot of questions coming in tonight. You can email rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. That's rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. Or you can call in live, 845-354-2444, if I see, okay, question. If I see my child really involved in these things, what should I do? Okay, the first thing is, the first thing is be very sensitive. Don't get judgmental and angry. Don't turn your child into a sinner 
and into a horrible kid or make him feel that he's crazy and abnormal. One of the biggest issues is that youngsters don't feel they can talk about this with anybody because they think they're unique. They're either crazy, they're either abnormal, they're horrible sinners, they're evil people, and therefore they don't want to expose their negativity to anybody else. And that is not good. You have to make them feel that they're normal. We know that they're normal. They're just human beings who need guidance, who need mentorship, who need education. So communicate with them. Your child has a void. He has a need. He needs perspective. He needs guidance. Maybe you need an objective person he can speak to. Maybe a good mentor. Maybe a good rabbi. Maybe a good teacher. Maybe a good therapist. Maybe yourself. But tune into his life. Don't start with the guilt and don't come down with on him hard, making him just feel that he has to hide from you even more. And now he'll never speak to you. You want to have an open relationship as much as possible. I can't stress this enough. I have seen so many youngsters getting into the teen years with distorted values concerning all issues relating to intimacy. And... We, we, need, we need to communicate to them. This is a precious gift from God to be enjoyed, to be maximized in the most meaningful, productive way. Not in a hollow way, not in a superficial way, not in an external way. And that's what the halacha is based on. And the more you can give your children the perspective from a healthy point of view the more we will avoid dealing with all of the problems afterwards. Let's not go on the defense. Let's not be defensive. Let's go on the offensive. Don't confuse them. Every age has its way of of talking about it. Okay, next question. Okay, this is a very intense question. I have been molested. I have been abused as a child, and as a result of that, my entire relationship to this issue is very, very problematic, very scary. I am addicted to pornography. Yes, my dear friend, my holy brother, you're not alone. First thing I want to tell you is you're not alone. This is the story of many people. Molesters and abusers do not realize often that when they touch a child inappropriately, they create damage that is long-term, especially in the area of intimacy. The relationship of so many victims of abuse to their own intimate faculties is distorted. It's terribly, terribly distorted. So the first thing I want to congratulate you for reaching out. The second, second thing I want to tell you is you need help in this area. Don't be ashamed. You're not a bad person. You're a good boy. You're probably a very sensitive and wonderful soul. You just need help. You need guidance in this area because you have to be able to regain your dignity and your belief in yourself and your boundaries and borders and know that nobody has entitled to control your soul or to control your body and that you have the power to be able to realize your beauty and your wholesomeness which is often robbed away from so many of our youngsters as a result of this. So I want to tell you, 
This is not the place to get into a detailed blueprint of what you should do. Reach out to somebody who is an expert in this field. Somebody is an expert in your field. If you email me with your email that we can write back to, or a telephone number, any way you want, you can email. I could try to refer you to somebody who's an expert in this. I know quite a few people, and they can get you on the path to healing. Don't be embarrassed. This is not your fault. This is a very normal reaction. Many addicts in this area, it's a result of something happening to them, or many other things, but this is one of them. So so I, I'm here for you. I will help you. I congratulate you. I already love you. And I want you to know that there is a future that is very bright. I promise you. I know a lot of people who have very bright futures, who created very bright futures for themselves, despite the terrible agony they had to deal with. You are not destined eternally to a life of shame and abusing yourself. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Somebody sends an email. Avi, great schmooze, question. Approximately, (laughs) how often is normal for a mistake? Once a month? Less? More? Also, mistakes happen due to promiscuous thoughts by day. So how can a teen know if it's coercion in human nature or it's his fault? In other words, how do we distinguish and determine when we're guilty or we're completely not guilty? Also, should the dad or Rebbe say that he can relate to this because he also did this or he also does this? Usually being being able to relate is a good thing to show your child that you can relate to him. But in this case, is there a downside? Okay, my dear friend Rebavi, it's a wonderful question. So here, let me go through the question one by one. Approximately how often is normal for a mistake? Once a month. Well... By definition, we try to avoid mistakes and errors always. <laughs> that, that, that's part of our mature responsibility. That's part of our moral responsibility. But when a person makes a mistake, okay, learn from it, and hopefully you'll never make the mistake again. If you'll make the mistake again, okay. But here is the catch. If it's happening very often, there may be a problem of addiction, And one then needs help from outside because they may not be in control of themselves. And let me tell you something. There are many people who are addicted to websites that are very, very unhealthy physically, morally, and spiritually. There are people who are addicted to going to certain places, to doing certain things, to watching certain films or websites, to looking at certain publications, and they're addicted. They say it's once a month, it's once a week, it's once a day, it's three times a week. You have to be very honest with yourself. Be very, very honest with yourself. Because if you're addicted to it, then you need outside help. And there is a lot of help. There's no need to be in this cycle. If you're going to be honest and you're ready to be introspective and you're ready to confront your demons... Your soul will be here for you. Your God will be here for you. And some people will be here for you. So when you say how normal a mistake, sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes it's an addiction. Now, as far as thoughts happening during the day, again, sometimes, you know, there's the first thought and there's the second thought. 
the initial thought and instinct that I have as a result, that's not me. It's me, but it's not my fault. That's part of our condition. You may be walking down the street, you may see something, you may hear something, you may experience something, and as a result of that, you have a thought, you have an instinct, you have a craving. You know what? Fine. Normal. Move on. What happens after that? Do you engage the thought? Do you delve into it? Do you pursue it? This is where you have choices. I am not in control of my entire system to be able to ensure that no thought or instinct that's alien to my truth, to my soul, to my humanness, to my Jewishness should enter into me. We are dichotomized creatures. We are conflicted creatures. A lot of different instincts and thoughts and make their entrance into our psyche willingly, unwillingly, consciously, unconsciously. The question is, what do I do with it? That's where I have and you have absolute control unless you have the disease of addiction and then there is also help. But if not, you have full control. Are you going to delve into that thought? Are you going to pursue it? You're in shul, you're in the street, you're at a party, wherever you are. There's always things that come in. But will you engage it? Will you take your mind there and will you allow it to lead you to other actions? That's where you have to distinguish. We have more power than we imagine. And sometimes it's a difficult test. But you know what? If you fight, you will succeed. And you will be grateful to yourself for eternity. Because we want to be our best. And this is where heroism is. Heroism is not on the outside. Heroism is on the inside. In your own bedroom, under your blankets, in your bed, in the privacy of your life, in the intimacy of your emotions. This is where true Yiras Shamayim prevails. This is where the great drama of human life happens. This is what counts in a very profound way. Should the, your last question was, should a teacher or, or, or a father tell their children that they, that they do it? Well, <laughs> I hope that if he's a Rebbe, he should be controlling himself, that they have done it. It depends on the situation. Sometimes it, it's advisable to tell your child that you have made a mistake, just like he has. First of all, it lets him connect to you. It encourages him. It says, you know what? My dad is a, is a good guy. My Rebbe is a good guy. Sometimes that's not necessary, and I think you have to judge it. You know, sometimes it's good to have a certain, there's a certain, you don't have to tell your child and and the student everything, but you could say, certainly I struggle with it. You can talk about the fact that, you know, you have to deal with it. How much you say, that depends on the child, it depends on the student. Usually if they have gone down a slippery slope, and they have, you know, they need more help and more encouragement, it's probably better to reveal more. Okay, question. You said a certain amount is human nature and has to happen to most people. Of course, each person is different. How often is that? Once a year, once a month. Listen, my friend, I can't answer you. I don't know you. I don't know you. Every person is different. You're talking probably about what happens at night unconsciously, what we not unconsciously, what we call wet You mean wet dreams. I understand. Every person is different. Generally, a person who works on himself, a person who davens, a person who learns, 
person who's involved in Avas Hashem and Avas and Avas Yisrael, a person who's not bored, a person who lives a productive life, it happens less and less and less. How often people are different, the bodies are different, the temperament is different. There's no, there's no, there's no one rule, okay? But but there is a lot, a lot to do to grow, and and it's not a hopeless situation for most people. Okay, you can email us at rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. I said it's not a hopeless situation for most people. I meant for no people, for nobody. just depends which stage you're on. RabbiYYRadio at gmail.com. We're talking about the birds and the bees, talking about sensitive issues to your children. You can also call in at 845-354-4444. Okay. Most Bachrim, most teenagers in my class look at pornography even good boys B'nai Torah they sit and learn but most of them look at inappropriate images I would say it's 90% of my class of my friends is that normal who I've heard this for many people I don't know. You, you're sure it's 90%? I guess your friends, you know. I mean, you're talking about your close group of friends, and I guess you talk about this with each other. Listen. I don't know if it's 90% everywhere. I don't know if it's 80%. I don't know if it's 70%. I don't know if it's 95%. I know it's not 100%. <laughs> I don't know exactly the statistics. I don't know if there are uh, accurate statistics about this. But I've heard about this from quite a few teenagers and young boys, especially the age 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, before they're married, many of them are in yeshiva, many of them are starting to work or in college, whatever it is, and discuss this. Let me tell you a few issues. Problem number one is most of these boys don't feel they have anybody to talk to about this. Who are they going to go talk to? They don't feel they have anybody to talk to. Do they have a teacher? Do they have a Rosh Hashiva? Do they have a Mashpia? Do they have a Mashgiach? Do they have a parent that they feel confident to talk to about this? And many of them, when they were 14 and 15 and they did speak to somebody about it, they were backstabbed. That person went and told somebody else. That person went and told the principal. That person went and told another teacher. They were backstabbed and therefore they don't trust anybody anymore, especially in authority. They don't want to talk about it. Number two, they are afraid practically. Will it damage their reputation? Will it damage their shidduch prospects? Will it damage something else in their life? Will it damage their social status? Will it damage their spiritual status? Will it damage their future job? Therefore, they don't want to talk about it. Number three, many of them don't believe there is another way of living. They are disillusioned. Nobody ever spoke to them about having an intimate, authentic relationship with God and with Judaism that is real, that is raw, that is naked, that is not based on cover-ups and is not just based on social convention and dogma. Many of them don't know that Yiddishkeit is about living an exciting, healthy, wholesome, 
stimulating life that is here to maximize your potentials on every level you level and to give you the opportunity to suck the marrow out of life and the reservations of halacha to pornography and all of these types of human expression are not based on the need to deprive people from fun and entertainment. On the contrary, they are here to fine-tune the human heart and human soul and to allow you to live deeper. Which brings me to another question that came in on the email, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm going to get back to your discussion with the boys, but I just want to bring this in here. Rabbi Jacobson, do you really believe that the halachas prohibition of emitting procreative substance, person writes masturbation, is really helpful for the human being? Listen, my friend, Um, first of all, I believe it, (laughs) and it's not just blind faith. There's also a lot of lot of logic to it. Let me let me just give you a very a very simple example. Okay, we all know we all know that one of the greatest joys of life, one of the greatest pleasures of life is emitting that part of the human being. That's why the test is a great test. But I want you to understand why there's so much joy. The Hasidic masters explain that the source of joy and pleasure is God. The closer we are to God, the more pleasure. In that seed of life, you have the most divine aspect of a person. That's why it has so much power. That's why there's so much pleasure involved. And that's why one has to be so sensitive and careful where it's going to and how it's being used and how it's being expressed. The essence of your soul is coming out. That's why it has the power to create life. It's the only thing that comes out of us that can actually create life. The deepest ideas that you have will not create life. They won't create another person. This has the power to create another person, you understand? That's why we're so sensitive with it. Because we realize it's, it's, it's potency and there's something else. When do most people engage in it? They're bored, they're lonely, they're sad, they're depressed, they're angry, they had a bad day, they feel empty. You're 19 years old, whatever you are, I don't know your age, you feel empty, you go there. You know what will happen if you abstain? You know what will happen if you discipline yourself? You will actually begin to feel yourself. You'll get to know who you are. Because the moment I use my outlets... In order to fill my void, I never get to the bottom of my void because I cover it up with instant gratification. So there's people who use food, there's people who do gambling, there's people who do alcohol, there's people who do other things. And the other things are more powerful because they actually capture your essence in the most profound way. If you will discipline yourself, you know what will happen? After a few days, you won't be using this outlet. You'll actually get to feel yourself. You'll get to know yourself. You'll get to know what's really bothering you. And then you will be able to fill your voids in a wholesome, productive, psychologically healthy, meaningful way that will last for a lifetime. It won't only be an enjoyment that gives you pleasure for a few seconds or a few minutes and then you have to do it again the next day. You'll fill your voids through the right methods that will actually alleviate part of your agony in life. Isn't that cool? Don't you deserve that? Okay, so I'm talking here to this boy who's talking to me about his friends. So I told you, number one, they don't feel they have anybody to speak to. 
Nobody will relate to them. Nobody will understand them. Number two, they're embarrassed. Number three, they don't believe there's even another path in life. Number four, they're bored. Many of your friends are bored. And when you're bored, you get into all these types of situations. And the way of dealing with it is not to struggle with it head on. It's to avoid it. When you fill your life with positive things, you usually don't get into the mess. But they're bored. That's another issue. You know, these are the most precious years of your life. You're young, you're energetic, you're idealistic, you're fresh. Don't be bored. Strive for excellence. Fill your days and nights with something that will stimulate you, whatever that may be. Something productive, something meaningful. They're bored. Number five, a percentage of them are addicted. Why are they addicted? Because they may have began, they may have began, they may have begun doing this at an early age and it was uncontrollable. Something may have happened to them. Maybe they were abused. Maybe they were molested. Maybe it was just a bad choice they made. Whatever it is, people are human. Sometimes it doesn't come because something happened to them. It's just they get into it, and 10 years later, they're still involved. And now they want to get married, and they don't know of another path. And I want to tell all of you, you and all your friends, the first thing is reach out. And if you're authentic, there is so much you can do to grow. There's so much you can do to change the course of your life. You deserve better. You can be better. I want to, I want to tell you all a story. I love this story. I want to tell you a lot of stories. Okay? But uh, I'm going to be able to tell you one story. The story is that there was a great Rebbe who was on his deathbed, and he had no children to succeed him. And his Hasidim said, Rebbe, who do we go to as a Rebbe after you pass away? And his answer was, go to a person who will not be able to give you advice from Machshava Zaras. Machshava Zaras are alien, promiscuous, and immoral thoughts that make their way into your psyche. Strange advice. He passes away, and they go to different Rebbes. And every Rebbe they visit, they ask him the first question, what's the solution for Machshavah Zaris? What's the solution for negative thoughts? And every one of them immediately gave them a solution. And they knew this was the wrong address. And finally, they came to the Heilike Ruzhin, Rebistral of Ruzhin. And they went into him, and they said, Rebbe, what's the advice for Machshavah Zaris for alien thoughts? And he told them, I'll say it in Yiddish. The Eitzah from Achshav Azaris is Azmezol Vissen Asenishtakin Eitzah. The best solution for these types of thoughts is knowing that there is no solution. It's a constant battle. And that itself is the solution. When you feel that the problem is the greatest evil in the world. Then you knock yourself out. You punch yourself in the face. You demoralize yourself. You have to realize the problem is the solution. The problem is not a tragedy. The solution is realizing this is part of the journey of life. 
to fight for your soul every day, to fight for your truth every day, to fight for your God every day. And the fact that I'm tested, the fact that I have challenges, and the fact that sometimes every day I have to deal with it again and again is not a tragedy. To the contrary, it's the opportunity to bring in light into a dark world and to bring in godliness into every aspect of your psyche, even the lowest aspect of your psyche. We're going to be back next week, and you can tune in tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m. to theyeshiva.net for a live class. This class is brought to you by theyeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.